Last week on the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. We talked about before they they made an early music video for this song and the uh, guitarist Steve Lukather is wearing some sweet suspenders. <laughs> nice. But did he steal them from Mork from Ork? Or did he take them from the ants in the pants? Uh... <laughs> I can't believe how many of them there are, but I, I think of uh, Gail and I joking around and like if I left for work and I came back in because I forgot something, I'd be like, I just came back to let you know. <laughs> well, that was good synchronicity right there. Yeah. With, the, with this song. Yeah. Even though it's yeah. done by Maureen McCormick, you know, who was playing a stripper on <laughs> Fantasy Island and got her nose broken and on the Brady Bunch six years ago. Yeah. Now, this is Melissa Manchester. Uh, we, we need a spreadsheet with all the M&M uh, female artists from the <laughs> 70s, I think, so we don't get it mixed up. Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold, and the gold you dip in the red paint. You know, I, I wondered if Melissa Manchester was her real name. I thought, is it really Melissa South Windsor? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or Melissa uh, East Windsor. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, The Gambler was written by Nashville songwriter Don Schlitz. And I'll have a Schlitz. Schlitz was able to quit his graveyard shift job as a computer operator at Vanderbilt University to become a full-time songwriter after this yeah. song. So. Well, you know, Schlitz has real gusto. Yeah. It's also the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Yeah. It's just a kiss of the hops. It's the greatest name in beer. <laughs> and when it's right, you know it. It was my father's brand after he switched from Schaefer in the 70s. <laughs> well, that's the one beer to have when you're having more than one. <laughs> <laughs> and this got to number 12. And Cheryl Lynn, she released this as her first single after being discovered on The Gong Show. Oh, wow. She sang a rendition of You Are So Beautiful that blew away the judges. So... JP Morgan did not gong her? I guess not. And I wonder if she came on right after Jean Jean the Dancing Machine. And Simmons had the best selling album, but Freely had the only hit song with New York Groove. And Ace is still with us. He's 71, so he's not in the Kiss Casket yet. <laughs> <laughs> what was he? He wasn't the cat, he was a spaceman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The cat was Peter Chris. Yeah. yeah. And the demon was Oh my gosh, I'm not part of the Kiss Army. So I'm gonna <laughs> stop right there. Hello again, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s. 
the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Roback, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Hey, Mark. Long time no see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, for those of you that don't know, Mark and I spent a good solid day together. And overnight, last weekend, we went down to New Jersey to meet up with some friends of ours, uh, Nate Rich and uh, and John, and we went to a Deep Purple concert, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I don't have to drive all those roads during rush hour, especially <laughs> around New York City. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I went to a doctor's appointment on Monday, and there was some guy that was set me up for another appointment and he was like oh sorry the chair's so uncomfortable and I was like oh it's not nearly as uncomfortable as the seat was at the concert I was at (laughs) and then so he asks me oh what concert was it and I said deep purple and he was like oh wow and it's like how'd they sound and he was he was into it but then he was discussing more concert he says he saw David Gates like a few years back. I don't know how we went from Deep Purple to David Gates. And he's like, you know, oh, his voice was tremendous. And then, you know, it segued into how I, how we have this podcast. And I said, yeah, we have a running joke uh, that, you know, which track on the best of bread is this song? <laughs> so I took down our uh, our podcast info, but I just uh-huh. hope, I, I hope we weren't too mean to bread over over a number of episodes i don't think it's mean i think it's it's more of you know poking fun at and yeah uh, and and personal taste i mean yeah 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 but But i tell you deep purple sounded great you know those guys are 20 years older than us except for the new guitar player who's not richie blackmore yeah um (laughs) and uh no these guys are in their in their 70s and they um they put on a great show. There were no surprises, but everything sounded really, really, really good. And so they did two warm-up shows, one in Pennsylvania, and then the one we saw in New Jersey on Friday. And then they and then they went on a cruise. Hopefully it's not a COVID cruise. And um, who knows if we'll see them again, but it doesn't they're not stopping, which yeah. is which is kind of cool. It's cool, and it's especially since they still still sound great. You know, I was I was uh, watching something today. Uh, a guy on YouTube was talking about these bands shouldn't tour anymore, mm-hmm. and it's just like either there's <laughs> no original members left or one. That, that, yeah, yeah. My sister actually, uh, she texted me today. She just listened to our previous episode, and she had seen foreigner uh at austin city limits like a year ago and she's like yeah none of the originals <laughs> yeah no lou graham no mick uh was it mick mick jones is that his name uh yeah not mick taylor not mick jagger not yeah not mickey mouse yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. that was great that was great and um it was great to see uh see our new friends and uh we met a couple more good yeah. tr- you, mark you're you travel well yeah, yeah. I try not to be annoying, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm glad, uh, glad we went down and saw that. And the road trip was kind of fun too. I mean, you know, not not the not a overly long drive, so that was good. Yeah. All righty. So as you can tell, Pete and I have been uh, friends for a long time, thirty plus years. We met in college and then ended up working together for a long time. In each uh, episode, we'll review all 40 songs of the Chosen Weeks Countdown and provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. 
At the end of the episode, we will provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer. And we'll give our individual A plus through F grade for the entire countdown. Since nobody has the exact same taste in music, our opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition, so please no wagering. All right, Mark. So today is episode number 42 of the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. It's the American Top 40 from the week ending March 2nd, 1974. And the title of this episode is Show and Tell Me the Boys Room. All right. Or show and Tell in the Boys Room. Yes. <laughs> All righty. So, do you know what you were up to in uh, early March of 1974? Well, absolutely. At least I know what my dad was doing as I showed the date book to everyone on on channel 18 and uh i was in the third grade at the time and mm-hmm. uh on saturday march 2nd it says sister number one toastmasters so mm-hmm. and she's still doing toastmasters and her public speaking stuff but what i find interesting here is uh it looks as though this was rescheduled from friday February 22nd, because it says Toastmasters, and it's crossed off for those of you looking on uh, Channel 18. So that's that's what was actually going on that day. I don't know if, if we all went. Who knows? But uh, on the following Monday, it says IG Longhouse. So IG is Indian Guides. So I was in Indian Guides that we've talked about before. And I think the Longhouse was where the, the leaders met and talked about uh, what they're going to do. I don't know if it was a regional thing or or just the the local tribe, I guess. Mm. <laughs> I think we were the Apache. I, I, I don't yeah. recall. Does, but, uh, does that organization still exist in any form at this point? Or is I it... don't know. It was sponsored, or it was uh, a YMCA organization. Uh, and so they had Indian guides and Indian princesses. So uh, I, I haven't done any research on it to figure that out. Yeah. Hmm. And then uh, the day before, it says faculty club so my father was a member of a faculty at the university in the area here and uh so they had a club the faculty had a club Hmm. so and and today was the last call for the management club or whatever they call it now at uh, the company used to work at Uh and uh i i I was a member of that until about 20 years ago and i We, we we would go in there would be interesting speakers at the you know it, was, it would be at the at the renaissance or you know something like that and you got a meal out of it you had a i think you had to pay money i don't think it was free and um they had interesting speakers and in, in the uh retirees were always showing up and retiree would always get up when some bean counter was up there talking saying when are you going to make the pension payment a little <laughs> bit bigger yeah <laughs> and, and so that was that was every time and uh I, I think I stopped going right, or, you know, for when the family started. So, uh, did you ever go to a, uh, a management club? I never belonged, but I, I went to a few. You know, there was always those things where it was like, oh, this manager has extra seats at the table he's sponsoring or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, I stopped going to some, like you said, some of the speakers were interesting, and that it was, yeah, I, I remember a few times where retirees were. Uh, you know, getting up and complaining, but uh, 
I got tired of like the brown nosing and oh, know, yeah. pontification yeah. that went on at the table. And it's just like, this is not my scene, man. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's in your date book? So, um, I, I mean, not much for me because uh, I'll just say I was in the fourth grade. Mrs. Hockenberry was my teacher, I remember. And, uh, but I, I looked at in Gail's uh, journal and it's this one I think I've shown before. It's a, got a flowered cover on it, but I picked out a few things in here, not exactly on the date, but within, you know, plus or minus 10 days. So this one is interesting because we talked about uh, the movie before and Casey thought this was the most disturbing motion picture ever made. Says, uh, Today, I finished reading the book The Exorcist, <laughs> which is the number one best-selling novel and movie. It's really gross, but it's good. And a lot of people who've seen the movie have gone nuts. I want to see the movie, too. I couldn't put the book down, and I just started it yesterday. So that's pretty interesting. Let's see. This is kind of funny. Uh so Gail was a few years older than than us, and this says, uh, this afternoon my mother took me to Eastern to let me drive. I went over a few curbs, but other than that, I didn't kill anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I, this is this is great because it's right in the in the time frame too. And so, there's been a lot of streaking around the country lately, especially at colleges and things. You know, kids running around outside for a few minutes naked. They had a streaker at Central, and now we're waiting to see if there'll be one at Eastern. Uh, kiddingly, we were all saying that we might get together one night at McDonald's and all streak running around the building once and then hopping in a getaway car and take <laughs> off before the cops catch us. <laughs> so I, I was looking up the... Uh, you know, the Ray Stevens, the streak was released in May of, of 74. So okay. this is very, very topical. What was in the uh, inner journal there? Yeah. yeah. I wish kids nowadays would go streaking instead of, you know, <laughs> taking catalytic converters and doing other things. Yeah. So. My, my brother sent me a story. The, the Oscar Meyer, uh, you know, the hot dog mobile, the, the wiener mobile. The wiener mobile. Yeah. yeah the, the catalytic got stolen off that. Oh my somewhere. gosh. Yeah. It's wow. nothing sacred. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Any anything else in the uh in the journal? No, no, that was that was it. Yeah. So I don't know. We had sort of one correction from the uh last episode. I don't know if you want to speak to it or yeah, I'll I'll speak to it. I was <laughs> I was not exactly right. You mean you were wrong? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Malfi. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. We talked about Rod Stewart with a number one song from 1979 this time. And I was saying how the song was written by Carmen Apiece. Carmen Apiece. And then I said his brother, who's also a drummer who played for Black Sabbath and, and Dio and, and such, was Carmen Apice. Well, it's Vinny Apice. <laughs> yeah so so i uh i called them both carmen so yeah did, did, were you ever called fred or or tom oh yeah my sister still does that all the time she she'll go through like two the two names before she gets to mine my parents <laughs> did it too but but one thing like which one is 
is Vinny uh, apathy or is he a piece? Or uh, I, I sort of meant to go try to figure that out, but I think you'd have to listen to the pronunciation. <laughs> I uh, it's Carmine a piece in Vinny oh. apathy. Okay, okay, yeah, it's and funny, I, and, I, and I think I think our friends over at the Deep Purple podcast once talked about that when they were doing something. So. Yeah. What well, it's funny though. I only noticed this during the editing. When we were talking about it, I was completely like, Oh yeah, Carmine Apice and Carmine Apice. It's like, oh yeah, they no wonder they want to pronounce the last names <laughs> differently because they got right. the same first name. <laughs> All right, Fred, what's next? All righty. <laughs> oh, uh, some news headlines from uh early March 1974. On February 27th, People Magazine begins sales. The newsstand price was 35 cents. On the cover was actress Mia Farrow, then co-starring in The Great Gatsby. And there's an article about Jim Croce's million-dollar music legacy. It's interesting. Then on March 2nd, the 16th Grammy Awards were on. Roberta Flack had Best Record for Killing Me Softly and Stevie Wonder Best Album for Inner Visions. Well-deserved there, that album for sure. I stuck this in here. Uh, also on March 2nd, guess who celebrated their 26th birthday? It's not on the paper you gave me, so no, it wasn't Donny Osmond. No, it was Rory Gallagher. Okay. <laughs> and on March 9th, the last Japanese soldier, a guerrilla operating in the Philippines, surrenders 29 years after World War II ended. Didn't they make a few TV show episodes? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of TV. There are movies. Of course, our favorite is The Six Million Dollar Man, The yeah. Last Kamikaze. Right, right. Where where a, a nuclear bomb got lost somehow and, and it was sabotage. And so people were trying to collect it. And Oscar Goldman sends Steve Austin over over to wherever that was. And he meets up with Yokira. And yeah. Yokira somehow knew perfect English. And it yeah. was able to. So Steve Austin's arm ripped over. or No, no. He got uh, punji sticks. And so his... Uh, his bionic, one of his bionic legs came over and, and Yukira says, you're the devil. Yeah. And, and eventually they became friends and Yukira showed up the, the next year with the wolf boy. <laughs> yeah. Who played when, when the, they, yeah. Who played the wolf boy? Wasn't it somebody that. I think uh, the wolf boy was Dick Van Patten's kid, maybe. No, right. no, he was a bionic boy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I forget um, who was the wolf boy. Was there a Gilligan's Island episode about a. I think there was a Gilligan's Island also with a with a Japanese soldier. Yeah, the one I remember was when the the gorilla found the uh, the like grenades and was throwing that's them. Right, that's yeah, right. yeah. But uh, anyway. that was a great part of our trip back from uh, from New Jersey, talking about our favorite Gilligan's Island, and and we liked them all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so finally, uh, in the news on March 11th, the Rhino Store gives people five cents to take home Danny Bonaducci's album. Ah, yeah. So he put a record out. He thought he'd be like his big brother, Keith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I took a look. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I took a look at the album, but uh, I didn't listen to it at all. But yeah, popular guy in a TV show at that point. Yeah. His character was great on the Partridge Family. He's my favorite character. You know, so, so irreverent. <laughs> 
going on to 1974 tech nothing of note again mm-hmm. around this this time that yeah. year anything in uh with the economy yeah so the, you know, so richard that. nixon was still president so there was no win campaign yet not not yet no. um but uh yeah things you know unemployment rate was 4.9% not not the worst we've seen in the 70s but inflation rate was 13.9% that's that's bad <laughs> mm-hmm. and the same buying power of today's dollar was about 17 cents back then and the cost of a gallon of regular gas was 53 cents that would be $3.32 today and does this match any of your real time data All right, so I went to the automobile logbooks. The 1972 VW bus, well, it was interesting. There was bad data. There were three entries of bad data. So I went a little later. I went to the 19th because Uh it was not full, not full, not full. So I don't know, maybe my mom bought the gas or maybe their dad didn't have his credit card. So it, it, it was a little disconcerting that there was bad data but when you say bad data meaning the tank didn't get filled so you can calculate get, the yeah yeah okay and so it was very difficult to come up with a good number so i had to go to the 19th which is kind of far away all right but close enough for what uh, 49 years ago is that mm-hmm. right yeah 49 years ago so it was filled up on the 19th and it cost uh, 55.9 cents a gallon or 16.6 miles per gallon and uh, on the 7th, later the next week, the squareback was filled up. And that was, so this is a couple weeks before the 19th, uh, or 10 days before, um, 59.9 cents a gallon for 20.7 miles per gallon. Now, right above, right below that, on the 14th, that car went in for service. On the 14th, tires and service. Guess how much it was for tires and service for a four or three and a half year old car new tires not retreads <laughs> no no new tires this time uh tires and service um i'll, I'll say something like eighty dollars no <laughs> no two hundred and eighty one dollars and eighty three cents oh, right? okay and with your buying power of 17 cents that's sixteen hundred fifty seven dollars and eighty two cents wow what was the service i don't know i don't have three the, years the, i don't have the service log like a transmission or something <laughs> yeah maybe they dropped the motor i mean it's a volkswagen you just drop the engine put a new one in yeah know? yeah so i i i when i saw that number because i mean tires were probably twenty dollars a piece then i remember yeah. buying tire tires 30 years ago uh, you know for small tires you know just just regular old tires and i think i bought them for 35 bucks i'd have to go into my uh automobile log so yeah. um yeah, that's that was, why I guess around eighty. I thought, no, oh, what? I didn't realize the only having a big service. So who knows? When yeah, yeah. Wow. But but the next here's the key. The next time the gas was filled up, it got up to twenty three and a half miles per gallon. Ah, so so uh, it was it was worth it. New tires, maybe a tune up yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I, I would like to also talk about the economy here a little bit. All right. Yeah. Because on this day. The 2nd of March, 1974, the price of a first-class stamp went from $0.08 cents to $0.10, cents, all right? And so for us, that would be $0.47 cents to $0.58. Cents. Today, a first-class stamp is now 
68 cents. You know, it went up last January. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a postcard went up from six to eight cents. And uh, today it's, uh, which is four, uh, went from 35 to 47. Now it's 48 cents to send a postcard. So if you're looking here on, on channel 18, I have from my mother's collection of stamps. All right. These yeah. are stamps she never used. Okay. Yeah, okay. There is the Emily Dickinson stamp, the ah. eight cents stamp. Okay. <laughs> so that eight cents stamp um, came out in, uh, in August of 1971. All right. Now, Emily Dickinson, the, the famous recluse poet from the mid uh, 19th century, grew up in Amherst, uh, Massachusetts. And, uh, and so uh, she, she actually went to Mount Holyoke College for a little bit. Okay. And she went home. And meanwhile, in the same envelope here, there are two cent stamps, uh-huh. all right? Two for Mary Lyons or, or Mary Lyon. And Mary Lyon actually founded Mount Holyoke. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. And the problem is, though, is the Mary Lyon stamps came out in February of 1987. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I find, found the, found that kind of interesting with my mother's I, I got all these old stamps that she never used but she would what she would do is she would like send letters to myself or my daughter or my siblings or whatever and she would use all these old stamps to come up with the with the right number uh, and uh um but my mom and my uh her mother both went to mount holyoke so uh, uh that's a, a little little bit there yeah cool so that's a, that's a 25 percent increase in stamps wow eight to 10 cents. Yeah. And I, I, that is familiar. Like at the time I was like, Oh my God, what's the world coming to? Um, that's a, that's a big hike. And, and, uh, yeah. 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 And the thing is there, there was no forever stamps. Okay. Right. Like there are now. All right. Right. But as I recall, it didn't, the, the price didn't jump all that often. Right. I mean, when, when did it, when had it gone to, uh, Six cents, I wonder. It went from eight to ten. Oh, eight to ten. I'm sorry. So All when right. did it jump to eight is what uh, the question. May 16th, 1971. Okay. So that's three. Yeah. In December of 1975, which is almost two years later, it went to 13 cents. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Of course, we had inflation. hyperinflation. Yeah. 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 It was inflation. Yeah. And um, we're getting it now. So it says here that... Uh, the price of stamps has gone up significantly just in the last three years. So it was 55 cents in uh, 2020. A year later, it went to 50. Oh, no, uh, something else went up. Uh, uh, what was that? No, the package rate went up. And then, yeah, whatever, it's gone up. Yeah. You Go, go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. So taking a look at what was on... Uh, TV in uh, early March, uh, Saturday, March 2nd, the day of the countdown, um, ABC at 8.30 at a TV movie. Houston, we've got a problem with uh, Robert Culp and Gary Collins, and that's the real-life struggle to return the Apollo 13 astronauts safely to Earth. So, of course, they made a very popular movie about that, Apollo 13, Ron mm-hmm. Howard directed, and it was, uh, yeah, that, that was a really good movie. Did you ever see that one? I think I did. Yeah. I, I never, I don't remember seeing uh, this this TV movie, though. 
I wonder how it is. CBS at 10, you have the Grammy Awards that we mentioned, and they had Glenn Campbell, The Carpenters, Roberta Flack, Al Green, Isaac Hayes, Chris Christopherson, Henry Mancini, Tony Orlando and Dawn, The Pointer Sisters, Helen Reddy, Telly Savalas, (laughs) and Lily Tomlin. Wow. And uh, Andy Williams was the host. Yeah, we talked about uh, Roberta Flack and Stevie Wonder winning, Mm -hmm. so... And then um, on Sunday, March 3rd, NBC at 8.30, Columbo. And the episode was a swan song. And that was uh, season three, episode seven. So this is the one with Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. And also had Sorrel Brook and Vito Scotti. Yeah. Boss Hogg is Sorrel Brook. Yep. And, and yep. we've talked about Vito Scotti being one of our favorite uh, character actors. Yeah. And this is yeah, husband and wife team of gospel singers who have a marriage of convenience are all called to the attention of Colombo when the husband fakes an airplane accident to get rid of his uh, fanatically evangelistic wife. And this was another one of my favorites. I, I thought Johnny Cash was great in this yeah. one. Yeah. Well, this is the first. I never watched Colombo as a kid, and I didn't watch it when it was on late night and uh so probably six years ago on a Saturday afternoon, my wife and daughter went out someplace. So 2015 or 2016. And I actually watched Columbo this episode. And like, <laughs> holy moly. What a, it was great. John Denner, who was a big radio star. He was the uh, FAA guy. Right. Ida, Ida Lupino was mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Cash's wife. Oh, my gosh. And, and now I'm a big Columbo fan because I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really, really good episode. At the movies at this time, so I didn't find anything like right, right around the beginning of March, but uh, this one probably was still in the theaters. On February 3rd, Blazing Saddles was released. Uh, yeah. Of course, is the Mel Brooks film uh, with uh, Cleveland Little and Gene Wilder. And, uh, Harvey Corman. Assuming you've, uh, you've seen that one. I don't think I've seen it front to back. It's it's good. It's quite a different movie for sure. <laughs> so uh, just the the uh, episode we're about to uh, do uh, was introduced by Alan Parsons on the SiriusXM when it aired. And now, as Casey would say, on with the countdown. How you doing out there? How you doing out there? You ever seen that one of those days where <laughs> that Sprechstim- like everybody's getting man? Spectrum. Very short, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I used to have them just about all the time, but I found a way to get out of it. Let me tell you about it. Back then, it was not cool to do that. Now they'd probably arrest you and <laughs> throw you in the clink in the back of the squad car. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is Smoking in the Boys' Room by Brownsville Station off their album, Yeah, 
exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> this one peaked at number three, about to fall off the chart. Now it's been on the chart for 19 weeks. And this was written by Brownfield Station lead singer, guitarist Michael Cub Coda. Coda wrote for various music magazines, including Goldmine, until he uh, passed away in 2000. But uh, he got the idea for the song from memories of hanging out at the movie theater with his childhood friends. They would smuggle cigarettes lifted from their parents into the men's room at the Clinton Theater in Ann Arbor, Michigan on Friday nights. It took Coda just a half hour to write the song and an hour for the band to record it. They didn't think much of it, but the song became far and away their biggest hit. Motley Crue covered this song oh, in yeah. 1985 on their album Theater of Pain, and it was their first U.S. Top 40 hit getting to number 16. These guys had one more top 40 hit with Kings of the Party that went to number 31 in 1974. <laughs> well, we didn't have to wait too long for them to get to the title on this one. This is Jim Dandy by Black Oak, Arkansas. Off their album High on the Hog, High on the Boss Hog. <laughs> so, this song is also sometimes known as Jim Dandy to the Rescue. Uh, it was written by Lincoln Chase and was first recorded by American RB singer Laverne Baker in 1955, and that version got to number 17. This cover by Black Oak, Arkansas got to number 25 and featured Jim Mangrum, who had already been using Jim Dandy as a stage name before they covered the song, and female vocalist Ruby Starr. This version of the song was used in the 1993 film Dazed and Confused, and this was their only top 40 hit. We know who's uh, pounding the drums right now. No. Tommy Aldridge. Ah. You know who Tommy Aldridge is? I've heard of him, yeah. yeah well, he's he turned into a big-time rock and roll drummer. Pat Travers, Gary Moore, Ozzy, and Whitesnake. Ah, okay. So if we had seen Whitesnake and Sammy Hagar two summers ago, we would have seen Tommy Aldridge drum. Yeah. So. What have they done to my song? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so this is Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede. Got it right this time. Uh, off their album Pinewood Rally. And Casey said... This is a debut song by a seven-member group of Dutch and Swedish descent, uh, taking a song from 1968 by B.J. Thomas and covering it, I think. <laughs> 
Uh, and then he said, listen for yourself. Uh, so that original version got the number five. This cover version was an international smash, getting the number one in the U.S. and number two in both Sweden and Canada. And in 1998, the blue Swede version was used in episodes of the TV show Ally McBeal. Ally McBeal, yep. Yep, when the dancing baby appeared. As Ellie got older, she would get visions of the baby who would dance to the Blue Swede version of the song, reminding her that her biological clock was ticking. Uh, these guys would have one more top 40 hit in the U.S. with their cover of the association's Never My Love that went to number seven. Yeah, we've had that on before. So. All right. Number 37. So this lady and her cousins, I remember right, they had number seven last time around when we did episode 31 from December 3rd, 1973. Mm -hmm. And that song was Midnight Train to Georgia. I don't remember this song. Yeah, I don't either. This is uh, I've Got to Use My Imagination by Gladys Knight and the Pips off their album, Imagination. And Casey said, this is one of the most successful soul groups around today. They've been making hits since 1961 when they first scored with the top tenor called Every Beat of My Heart. This one got to number four and number one on the soul chart. It became one of the band's highest charting songs and eventually sold more than one million copies. It's written by Jerry Goffin, Barry Goldberg. On the television series A Different World, Whiteley. Whitley. Jalessa and another classmate performed the song to audition to sing backup for Gladys Knight, who made a special guest appearance on the show. Was that the spinoff of the Cosby show? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I ever saw that. Not, neither did I. Yeah. yeah. This is a free ride. (laughs) There it is. Rock and roll hoochie coo. You'll still hear this one. This is by Rick Derringer off his album, American Boy. His real name is Richard Dean Zeringer. Casey talked about how Rick Derringer was the lead singer and guitarist for the McCoys. And in 1965, they went to number one with their first record, Hang On Sloopy. Then they had many more chart hits. And then last year, he produced the number one instrumental, Frankenstein by the Edgar Winter Group. This song would get to number 23. Hoochie Coo is short for Hoochie Coochie, which is sexual slang popularized by Muddy Waters in his song Hoochie Coochie Man. This was first released on a Johnny Winter album in 1970 with uh, Derringer and the McCoys backing up Winter. Derringer, who wrote the song, decided to record it for his first solo single. It was his biggest hit as a solo artist. And Rick was a busy guy producing and playing with a lot of artists, including Steely Dan, 
Weird Al Yankovic, Bette Midler, Neil Sadaka, Cindy Lauper, Carmine Apice, <laughs> Meatloaf, just to name a few. Yeah. And he's still with us. He's 75. So you forgot the other one that used to say Coochie Coochie Coo. Oh, yeah. Our, our, our favorite, Charo. Charo. I bet you like much, much more the Coochie Coochie Coochie. Huh? What if she ever did a cover? <laughs> I've always been the kind of guy This isn't the isn't the natural move. What was the name of that band? Free movement? <laughs> this is not free movement. No. <laughs> this is not the natural movement. This is the natural four. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember this song. One uh, bit. Me either. This is Can This Be Real? And the Natural Four was an American R&B group from Oakland, California that played from 1967 to 1976. After some limited success, the group reformed with Delmos uh, Whitley generally taking lead and signed with Curtis Mayfield's label Custom Records in 72 and proceeded to release a string of U.S. R&B hits, including one top 40 breakthrough, this song here, Can This Be Real? The group called it quits after their third album. Their third album was Curtum, and it failed to chart, so they disbanded in 76. And uh, this was their only top 40 hit on the pop chart, peaking at number 31. But they had four top 40 hits on the R&B chart. This is familiar. Yeah. And and I don't think this song is, you know, the, this artist makes it familiar. I think someone else did this. Yeah. So this is Last Kiss by Wednesday. And Casey said... This is Wednesday from Canada with a remake of Last Kiss. The song was originally released by Wayne Cochran in 1961 on the Gala label. It failed to do well on the charts. Cochran subsequently re-recorded his song for the King label in 1963, and it became a hit. It uh, was then revived by Frank Wilson and the Cavaliers, who took it to number two on the Billboard charts wednesday took it to number 34 and number two in canada and yeah pearl jam took it to number two in 2003 oh, and uh, several international artists also covered the song with varying degrees of success. This was Wednesday's only U.S. Top 40 hit, but they had a few more cover version hits in Canada. I think I remember the 1968 version, though. So. Yeah. Now at number 33 in the countdown, the 13th hit record by an artist who doesn't sing, doesn't play an instrument, doesn't lead a band, and doesn't tell jokes. What he does is to borrow the talent and voices of some of the top names in the business, and then he uses them in all of his records. Uh, records like The Untouchables, Ben Crazy, Batman and His Grandmother, Water Great, 
and of course his two biggest with ex-partner Bill Buchanan, The Flying Saucer, and Flying Saucer the Second. His latest is up to number 33 this week. Here's Dickie Goodman and Energy Crisis 74. All right. Dickie Goodman tells jokes. Okay. So when Casey <laughs> was in there, says, you know, all this. I mean, Dickie Goodman makes a story. He's a storyteller. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. We are here at the White House for a special report on the energy crisis. Mr. President, have you any statements? <laughs> Mr. President, what really caused the energy crisis? <laughs> How much gas will motorists be allowed? <laughs> Who do you believe the gas shortage will affect? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President, the crisis must be solved. What do you intend to do? <laughs> With me now is the head of the Federal Energy Office. Sir, you hold an important position. What are your qualifications? I'm a joker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Mr. President, have you anything to add? <laughs> Here with me is the new Vice President, Chevy Ford. <laughs> Sir, how would you sum up the gas shortage? <laughs> We have a long-distance call from Saudi Arabia. King Faisal, is that you? Hello. <laughs> King Faisal, what are your thoughts when you look out at all those oil wells? Beautiful in your mind. I have go to my ear of Israel on the other phone. What should I tell her? Would you tell her that I love her? <laughs> Mr. President, have you any added comment? <laughs> Mr. President, the American people are waiting. Have you a statement? We'd like to continue this record on the energy. <laughs> but we, we have, have just run out of So uh, I, I wanted to let it go because it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, so that's a satire of the 1973 energy crisis in the United States. Uh, peaked right here at number 33. He must have used the chart from our episode 31 from uh, December 1st, 73, because every song except, I think, two were on that chart. Yeah. And three of the songs are on the chart we're doing in, in this episode. Right. But presumably for music rights reasons, Energy Crisis 74 was heavily edited on Goodman's Greatest Fables compilation released in 1997. They did fake re-recorded snippets for all but two of the tracks, except for uh, Smoking in the Boys' Room and Living for the City, with the segments for Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Top of the World completely removed. Goodman would return to this topic with Energy Crisis 79 five years later, but that was not a hit. Yeah, Dickie passed away in 1989, only at the age of 55. So, so when... Uh... When we did their bottom 25 at the top 100 from 1974, about, uh, what, eight episodes ago or so? Yeah. Um, we captured a lot of these there. Yeah. And of course, this gentleman uh, is uh, 
this is Elton John. Everyone knows this song. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. Benny in the Jets, and uh, he uh, wrote this as an homage to the glam rock, a style defined by outrageous costume that was popular in the early seventies, especially in the U.S. Oh, you missed it there. Got electric boobs. <laughs> yeah. So this one got to number one and number 15 on the soul chart, which delighted Elton as he was influenced by many black musicians. Is that we talked once upon a time about words that in songs, you know, and that line is one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the only repeat we have from our episode uh, number 31. This is the Joker. It was uh, number 22 in early December 1973. Yeah. And here's the other thing, right? Right here. Yeah. And that episode, we talked about how the word pompadus does not exist or does exist, excuse me, in the Oxford English Dictionary. It means to act with pomp and splendor. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but my dishwashing method, I used to talk about that with this song because I like to soak my dishes. So I'm a joker, I'm a non-smoker, and I'm a midnight soaker. Billboards number 30. Uh, this is Mighty Love, part one by the Spinners off their album, Mighty Love. Casey said at number 30 this week is a Detroit group that have scored four big hits in the past year. I'll Be Around, Could It Be I'm Falling in Love, One of a Kind, and their latest moves up seven notches this week. Um, this one will peak at number 20 was written by a trio of songwriters. Spinner, Spinner's producer Tom Bell teamed up to create the song. Joseph Jefferson, Bruce Hawes, and Charles Simmons. Jefferson had written uh, earlier Spinner's hits, One of a Kind Love Affair. Jefferson later teamed up on another. They just can't stop it, games people play. Mighty Love was the fourth in a string of six number one R&B hits, all produced by Tom Bell, who backed them with the uh, the Mighty House Band at Sigma Sound Studios in Philadelphia. How many days a week, excuse me, how many days a year do you work? Um, none anymore, unless you count this podcast. <laughs> and what did Casey say? Uh, how, how many days a, a year does B.B. King work? 310. Yeah, so this is I'd Like to Live the Love by B.B. King off his album, To Know You is to Love You. And, and yeah, Casey said this is one of the busiest men in the U.S. Yeah, he put in 
310 days, which is equivalent to working 52 weeks and only taking Sundays off, while the average American not working weekends or holidays and taking two weeks vacation works about 245 days uh, or less. I, I don't know. I think Dave Davis might have skewed that average. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's back. Yeah. 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 Did uh, I yeah. That? You, you did. And I, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, well, I found out from Ev that, that he's actually back, but he's not at the plant. So. He took a yeah. Davis retirement. Yeah. Uh, he took a Davis so. retirement. B.B. King is, is very important with Lucille. And I saw him down at the Oakdale probably 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Robert Cray opened up. I think we talked about that in an earlier episode. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad I did see him. Yeah. yeah. So. This, this one uh, got to number 28, including this one. He had four top 40 hits in the 70s. The biggest being The Thrill is Gone. That went to number 15 in 1970. And of course, he had many, many hits on the R&B charts for decades. He's the king of the blues. And uh, he passed away in 2015 at the age of 89, which is quite a long life for a blues man. It just went up 25%. It's because I can't afford the postage. Yeah. Uh, This is Charlie Rich. This is There Won't Be Any More. And I don't remember this song. Do you recall it when you were in the fourth grade? Nah. It was actually originally recorded in the 60s, and it was released as a single at the end of 1973 and was his fourth number one hit on the country singles chart. Got to number 18 on the pop chart. One of Rich's biggest successes, There Won't Be Any More, was named the top country hit of 1974 by Billboard magazine. Wow. Well, another artist with two first names. Yeah. Charlie Rich. Do you know anybody by the last name of Rich? Uh, Well, there's Buddy Rich. Yeah. Um, Worked with somebody named George Rich, the old plant. So two first names again. How about Richie Rich? So this fellow was kind of on our countdown the last time around with number 39, Ramblin' Man, but that was the Allman Brothers band, and that was a, a Dickie, <laughs> Dickie Goodman, <laughs> a Dickie Betts, <laughs> a Dickie Betts song. <laughs> so Midnight Rider, Greg Allman. Yeah off his album Laid Back. So we had the uh, Joe Cocker and Chris Stanton band cover of this on episode 23 from uh, October 14, 1972. Uh, This was Greg Allman's signature song uh, describing how he continued on in the face of obstacles. He wrote the song, but shared the songwriting credit with Kim Payne, a roadie for the band who came up with the classic line, the road goes on forever. After he wrote this song, Greg Allman wanted to start recording it right away. So with the help of Kim Payne, who was guarding their equipment, 
He broke into the band's Macon, Georgia recording studio in the middle of the night and went to work, figuring he should get some tracks down before he forgot them. Uh, this first appeared on the second Almond Brothers album, Idlewild South, but it wasn't released as a single. He at number 19, his biggest hit as a solo artist, and uh, yeah, Greg passed away in 2017 at the age of 69. So when the Almond Brothers came back in the late 80s, you know, he did that song, I'm No Stranger. Right. So, you know, but music was different. That was a big song on rock radio, but I'm sure it wasn't a pop hit. Right. So, you know, we were in the third and fourth grade. Was it too late for show and tell or was that earlier? Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I don't remember doing it in the third and the fourth grade. There it is, Show and Tell by Al Wilson off his album Dynamite, or is it? A dynamite! Um, so this was actually number 33 on our episode 31 from December 1st, 1973. This one got to number one and has been on the, the uh, Hot 100 chart for 20 weeks. This was written and produced by Jerry Fuller, who also wrote Rick Nelson's Traveling Man and a few hits for Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, including Young Girl. Young Girl, get out of my mind. And um, Al Wilson unfortunately passed away in 2008 at the age of 68. So I guess I didn't do a good job on repeats because I only had one. So that was. What's your method of doing it? I look at the two things. Do you like do? I, a, I, I do a search through the uh, the spreadsheet. Uh huh. But even that sometimes doesn't work. I found too. For whatever reason, because yeah. these folks had a, a number nineteen on that countdown with Angie, right? Yeah. So yeah, this is heartbreaker, this heartbreaker, or do 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 do. What'd you say? Do 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 do. Okay, you got it right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Off the album Goat's Head Soup, this one got to number fifteen. Tells two stories, a young man shot by police in a case of mistaken identity and a 10-year-old girl who dies in an alley after a drug overdose. Sure. Neither is based on a true story, but it's a commentary on urban America. Mick Jagger recalled to Uncut Magazine in 2020 that he can't remember any specific inspiration. It's the timing, he said. New York as a violent place. America was a heavy-handed police state. Yeah, Billy Preston played the piano. Keith Richard played bass and shared guitar uh, duties with Mick Taylor on this one. Either this is a cover or it's been covered a lot. Because I do remember this song. Yeah.
love that little guitar riff after right there yeah so this is come and get your love by Redbone off their album wavoka in uh, 1973 this one went to number five Redbone, their name is a nod to their heritage which was native american and they were banned from colinga california and led by brothers pat and candido parentheses lolly vasquez <laughs> they were managed by bumps blackwell who guided little richard and sam cook to success to avert discrimination, he convinced the brothers to use a, a different last name. So they became known as Pat and Lolly Vegas. Redbone earned an audience playing clubs on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles at the same time the Doors were on the scene. And in 1972, they scored with the Witch Queen of New Orleans, which reached number 21 in the U.S. and number two in the U.K. And uh, Pat Vasquez is still with us. He is 81. Unfortunately, his brother Lolly passed away in 2010 at the age of 70. I'm just trying to hold on I don't remember trying to hold on to my woman by Lamont Dozier, do you? I, I don't remember it, but um, this was actually number 87 on our episode 33, which was the bottom 20 of the top 100 songs. Bottom 25. 25, excuse me. Yeah. Written by McKinley Jackson and James Reddick. It reached number four on the U.S. R&B chart and number 15 on the uh, pop chart. And Lamont Dozier is, of course, one-third of the powerhouse Motown songwriting trio of Holland, Dozier, and Holland. He wrote 10 number one hits for the Supremes and two for the Four Tops. Yeah. This was his only chart as an artist, though. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we did our bottom 25 of the top 100, and I didn't remember it then, and I don't remember it now. So. No, no, it's not so, a bad song, but it's just yeah. not very memorable. Yeah. yeah. He wrote a lot of other things that are very memorable. Yeah. Choo choo. Are you crying? Do the tears belong to? So when I read this, I said, Dennis DeYoung and Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's weird. Yeah. And, and of course, it's not that. This is Cliff DeYoung with Bill Mummy, and it's cut off. Uh, Corey Fisher. Corey Fisher, not Jolie Fisher, which is uh, Harry, uh, Connie Stevenson's daughter with uh, Joey Fisher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the half sister of Princess Leia, right? Yeah. So this is my sweet. Speaking lady. of People Magazine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I. Uh, Casey talked about Cliff DeYoung's acting career, uh, moving up to lead uh, the lead in Broadway's Hair, and he played the lead in uh, on Broadway and the controversial production of Sticks and Bones about a Vietnam vet. 
and starred in the TV movie Sunshine, in which he sings this song. This was written and first recorded by John Denver, and it was included on his Poems, Prayers, and Promises LP in 1971. Um, this version got to number 17 and number seven on the adult contemporary chart. States dollar took another pounding on German, French, and British exchanges this morning, hitting the lowest point ever known in Western. <laughs> All right, is this a newscast? Yeah. Is this, is this Dickie Good Goodman? Uh, is this patriotic Sprechstimme? Patriotisch Sprechstimme. Is this... Is this stink? This is yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is The Americans by Brian McGregor. And uh, this is a commentary originally by Canadian broadcaster Gordon Sinclair. And it was originally written for a regular broadcast on CFRB radio in Toronto on June 5th, 1973. Became a media and public phenomenon it was replayed several times a day by some u.s radio stations and released as a hit audio recording in several forms ronald reagan credited it for giving comfort to the u.s in difficult times and it was widely rediscovered and re-disseminated as the u.s faced a new crisis in the late 2000s so one of the most recent examples. All right. So far this spring, 59 American. On to number 20. <laughs> we go to number 19. <laughs> this isn't as bad as other Paul McCartney and Wings. This is, this is actually head and shoulders above. Mary had a little lamb. Or Helen Wheels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is Jet by Paul McCartney and Wings off of Band on the Run. This one got to number seven. Jet was the name of a black pony that Paul McCartney and his wife Linda owned. The pony provided the title for the song. Jet was chosen because the name makes a very stadium-ready title, perfect for throwing your fist in the air when it's performed in an arena. Yeah, Paul McCartney said, I was in a songwriting mood and I was up in Scotland and I just thought, okay, I just got to go somewhere and try to write a song. We happen to have a little pony that was called Jet on the Farm. I took my guitar and hiked up this great big hill. I found myself in a place which was in the middle of nature and just sat there and started making up the song. Well, I was thinking that we would have the other uh, one of the news items with number nine, but it's a sexy mama by the, the moments. And we just lost yesterday or the day before a, a American sex symbol or icon or whatever the right term is, you know, Raquel Welch at yeah. the age of 82. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, quite an icon. We talked about, I think, Kansas City Bomber on one of our episodes where she played a, a roller derby uh, player. And um, yeah, yeah, quite quite the lady, quite the career. Gail actually saw her in Elaine's restaurant in New York. And I remember she said, 
you know, on the screen, she looks like she was like kind of like a big woman, like an Amazon woman, but she was actually quite short. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. When uh, my father, and I don't know who got it for him, and I don't know if he bought it, but he had on the back of his door to his office in the basement of the house a, you know, a door sized poster of. Of Raquel Welch, it was black and white. I don't know if it was from, you know, the movie uh, what the million years before now or whatever it was, <laughs> and uh, whatever that movie was that she was yeah. in. And uh, so it was still at the house. It was rolled up. It, my daughter took it. Now it's on her bathroom door, her dorm room, the <laughs> <laughs> <In> college. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Kind of retro. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, yeah, this is a Sexy Mama by the Moments off their album, Those Sexy Moments. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Moments uh, were American R&B vocal group who uh, morphed into Goodman and Brown in the 80s. They had some big hits in the 70s. Love on a Two-Way Street went to number three in 1970. Look at me, I'm in love, number 39 in 75. Special Lady as Ray Goodman and Brown went to number five in 1979. I do remember that one. Not, this, not, uh, not Dickie Goodman and Brown, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one went to number 17. Couldn't find much on the song, but I looked up the lyrics and there's a line that says, go ahead and let your Jones get good and funky. Ooh. <laughs> I don't remember this song. We're counting down the most popular songs in the country from Kodiak to Kokomo, from Hartford to Honolulu. I do remember this one. I do remember it also. And when I read the title, it reminded me of of Colonel Flag. <laughs> Oh, because he's like the wind when he leaves? That's right. I am the wind. (laughs) Yeah, so this is Eris 2, parentheses, Touch the Wind by Mosadades. Yeah, Eris 2 translates uh, into You Are or uh, It Is You, written in 1973 by Juan Carlos Calderon, Eddie's father. Uh, well, the king of Spain. Yeah. <laughs> the courtship of Eddie's father. <laughs> anyway, uh, performed by uh, Mosadades with lead vocals by uh, Amaya Yuranga. Beautiful voice she has. Oh, yeah. She's, it, absolutely. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yes. And this was chosen as Spain's entry in the Eurovision Song Contest in 1973. The the winner though was Anne Marie David with Tute Raconitras. I can't pronounce that, but uh, Tu te reconnaîtras. Uh, in the UK, this song was released in English under the title "Wonderful Dream," and released on Epic. It made number thirteen. After reaching second place in the contest, it was released as a single. And in 1974, Eris 2 became one of the few Spanish language songs to reach the top 10 in the U.S., peaking at number nine, and also reaching the top 10 on the adult contemporary chart. Mosedadas is a Spanish singing group from the Basque country uh, in Spain, and uh, 
This was their only U.S. Top 40 hit, but they put out 22 albums over the years. Wow. On my shoulders makes me happy. Did you go outside today? Uh, I did, actually. Yeah. Did you have any sunshine on your shoulders? Um, it was cloudy by the time I got outside, but it was nice and warm. Yeah. yeah I didn't get outside until I left the plant. And uh, now it's, I think it's raining now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is Sunshine on My Shoulders by John Denver off his album Poems, Prayers, and Promises, which we mentioned earlier. Um, this would get to number one. John Denver wrote this song on an early spring day in Minnesota when the rain was gently falling. He found himself looking forward to spending more time outdoors and enjoying the sunshine. This first appeared on, as we mentioned, the 1971 album, Poems, Prayers, and Promises. Denver was a struggling singer-songwriter at the time who was enjoying his first solo hit with Take Me Home Country Roads, which was released a few months before the album and was climbing the charts. Sunshine was revived in 1973 when it was used as the B-side of Denver's single I'd Rather Be a Cowboy, which reached number 62 in the U.S. Yeah, later, I don't remember that. Nah, but later that year, Sunshine on My Shoulders was issued as an A-side single. The song got a big boost when it was used in a November 1973 made-for-TV movie called Sunshine, which we mentioned earlier, that also had Cliff the Young song, My Sweet Lady. And that was a very sad movie. But you see those two songs fitting into the movie very well. Well, this lady was on the countdown last time as half of an act with Marvin Gaye which I can't read my writing, the something part of me. What the heck was that song? Uh, the best part of me, the saddest part of me, the... <laughs> I don't know, but uh, if you want to look it up, I'll... That was uh, a big song. I'll look it up, yeah. Yeah. So this is Last Time I Saw Him by Diana Rossoff. Last Time I Saw Him, the album. It's a composition by Michael Masser and lyricist Pam Sawyer. And Casey said... Not many ladies have participated on 16 number one records. Here is one who can. She was on 12 with the Supremes, and as a solo artist, she has 12 hit records, four number ones. Billboard would describe this song last time I saw him as a light romp in the Tony Orlando and Dawn style. And uh, this one got to number 14 and went to number one on the adult contemporary chart. You're a special part of me. Ah. Who's the banjo player? Oh, the kid from Deliverance? Wherever you go. <laughs> wherever you may wander, Here she is again. Yeah. This must have made the country charts too, right? Oh, this was a big country song. Yeah. Let me be 
Oh yeah, this is Let Me Be There by Olivia Newton-John off her album, Let Me Be There. And this one got to number six, but Olivia Newton-John took the prize for best female country vocal performance for this song up against country veterans like Tammy Wynette and Dottie West. Newton-John can- be there. Yeah. <laughs> She continued to cause a stir in Nashville when she won the Country Music Association Award for Best Female Vocalist of the Year in 74, thanks to her subsequent country hit, If You Love Me, Let Me Know. The win prompted Tammy Minette and George Jones to quit the Country Music Association and form the Association of Country Entertainers to, quote, preserve the identity of country music from the non-country artists infringing on the genre wow yeah those are fighting words yep. so who's the guy that does the you know the let me be there in the night you know um, is, is it yes. one of the guys from the Oak Ridge Boys or um, Alabama the, or whoever this, it was this features bass vocal harmony from Mike Sams whose group, the Mike Sam Singers, provided backing vocals on a host of hits, including Tom Jones's Delilah and the Beatles' I Am the Walrus. Wow. I don't know if it's they're on that one as well. The clapping. The clapping will take us into number 14. There's a wren in a willow wood Flies so high and sings so good and brings to you. Oh boy, look at that. Three in a row. Biggest ladies of the 70s. Yeah. Dana Ross, Livy Newton John, and this lady, Anne Murray. Yes. So this is Love Song off the album The Love Song. And and yeah, this was number 80 on our episode 33, the bottom 25 of the top 100 of 1974. This won a Grammy Award for Best Female Country Vocal Performance and peaked at number 12 and number five on the country chart. The song first released by the folk rock duo Loggins and Messina in 1973 on their album Full Sail. Ian had an earlier hit with another Loggins and Messina product, Danny's Song, in 1972. And she's from Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. Scotia. As Casey would say, the cute Canadian girl. Yeah. I guess we can say here's another pillar of the uh, 70s ladies with Carly Simon. Yeah. So there it is, Mockingbird by Carly Simon and James Taylor off the album Hot Cakes. Mockingbird is based on a traditional American folk song, sometimes known as Hush Little Baby. The song is a lullaby intended to soothe a young child to sleep with promises of expensive gifts. Inez and Charlie Fox were brother and sisters that had the original hit with the song, taking it to number seven in 1963. James Taylor and Carly Simon were married at the time they recorded this. This version got to number five. 
Eminem made it into a song oh, for his daughter Haley or Hallie. Uh, Eminem's song veers from the traditional lyrics as he details his struggles to raise his daughter and threatens to break the bird's neck if it doesn't sing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Little baby ducks, old pickup trucks. So this is another uh, repeat from our uh, bottom 25 of the top 174. It was number 83. And it's uh, I Love by Tom T. Hall. And it's off his album For the People in the Last Hard Town. This was his sole entry on the top 40, peaking at number 12. But he, he's written tons of country hit songs. His biggest hit was the number one pop and country hit sung by Jenny C. Riley back in 1968, Harper Valley PTA. Oh, sure. And Tom is included in Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest songwriters. And he passed away in 2021 at the UJ 85. Well, Ringo had number two photograph uh, 13 weeks ago in uh, December of 1973 from our episode number 31. I like this song. Yeah. I like Ringo. I do too. And uh, yeah, so this is your 16 off his album, Ringo. This one got to number one, falling back now after being on the charts for 12 weeks. It was the second solo project by Ringo Starr to reach number one. As, as you mentioned, Photograph is the first, and that one remains one of his most fondly remembered hits. The song was written by the Sherman Brothers, who are famous for writing Disney classics, Super Califragilistic Expialidocious, and It's a Small World. The first recording of this song was by Johnny Burnett in 1960. His version was featured in the 1973 movie American Graffiti. On this track, Harry Nilsson sang backup, and Paul McCartney made the noise that sounds like a kazoo. Others who contributed to the album include John Lennon, George Harrison, Rick Danko, uh, Nicky Hopkins, Levon Helm, and Mark Bowen. Wow. is put your hands together by the ojs off their album ship ahoy and casey told the story about how cleveland disc jockey eddie oj would help the group break into the big time if they used his name and uh, even though it took a while he kept his promise 13 years and 15 chart records later this one peaked right here at number 10 and it's one of their nine top 40 hits in the 70s with the Philly International label. 
good song, but I don't remember this one as much as uh, as as their others. Yeah, yeah. Number nine, number nine, number nine. Sounds like we're in an Italian restaurant. So was was Cher dating Greg Allman yet? Or was that a few years later? Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I don't know. Just to bring up a Cher timeline. Yeah. And this is in my record collection because it was Sister Number Two's, and I think Half Breed was on the Dark Lady LP. We had Dark Lady on last time, or no, not excuse me. We had Half Breed on last time from the Dark Lady LP. Yeah, I said that incorrectly. That was Ruru. Yeah. Yeah, there it is, Dark Lady by Cher off the album, as you mentioned, Dark Lady. Uh, this one got to number one. Keyboard player Johnny Darrell, who was a member of the Five Americans and the Ventures, wrote this song. Uh, he submitted it to Cher's producer, Snuff Garrett, who had some definitive feedback. Um, he said, quote, when I was on tour in Japan with the Ventures, I was writing an interesting song. Darrell explained, uh, I telegraphed the unfinished lyrics to Garrett. He said, make sure the biatch kills him (laughs) hence in the song both the lover and the fortune teller were killed according to uh darrell uh everybody knew it was a hit the minute they heard shear's vocal on the playback but she didn't particularly like it this was shear's last chart topper in the u.s until believe hit number one in 1998 I think I'm going to sit back and watch some golf on CBS <laughs> back in the 80s. Yeah. Wasn't this is a theme song to CBS golf, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, no no lyrics in this one. This is Love's Theme by the Love Unlimited Orchestra off the album Rhapsody in White. Yeah, and was, how did you get white from that? Yeah, so this was written and produced by Barry White and became one of his biggest hits. With its strings and wah-wah guitar, the track had a significant influence on the disco sound, which exploded in 75, a year after this song had topped the charts. The track shot to number one on the U.S. Billboard chart on February 9th, 1974, where it stayed for one week. And on April 20th, another soul instrumental, TSOP, Sound of Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Yeah, also hit the top spot, this time staying for two weeks. This is one of the few instrumentals and purely orchestral uh, tracks to reach number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 100 and was one of the most played instrumentals of the 1970s. The track earned Barry White a BMI award for selling over 3 million copies. Wow. 
So let's see, what would another instrumental be? Probably something from Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, I would think. And yeah. Herb Alpert, because he did Rise, right? Was, right. When, when was Rise? Was that in the 70s or 80s? I think it, Late I 70s, I thought. But I did we do wrong. Rise? I don't, I, I, don't re- I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then it was popcorn. That was an instrumental. <laughs> did, did that get the number one? Yeah, probably not. Frankenstein did it get the number one? That uh, might have. Yeah. yeah. Did um, you think Bob Steele ever played this? I could picture him playing this. Yeah. yeah. Right after Tiddly Winks. Yeah. <laughs> the antenna switch. <laughs> We haven't heard from the Queen of what's what's her nickname? Queen of Soul. Queen of Soul. Uh, this is Aretha. Yeah. And uh, it's it's cut off in mine. <laughs> what's the title of this? Yeah, it's uh, until you come back to me. Parentheses. That's what I'm gonna do. There it is, and it's off her album, Let Me In Your Life. This went to number three and number one on the R&B chart. It spent 15 weeks on the chart. This was written by Stevie Wonder, Clarence Paul, and Maurice Broadmax. Stevie Wonder recorded the original version in 1967, but didn't release it until his 1976 Greatest Hits Collection anthology. Aretha Franklin recorded the song after Stevie Wonder played it for her in 1973. When this song reached its highest position of number three, Franklin became the first artist to record singles that peaked at each of the positions one through 10 on the Hot 100 chart. It's kind of interesting. She obtained the full set six years, nine months, and three weeks after her first top 10 hit, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Uh, Marvin Gaye became the first male artist to achieve the, quote, Occupy All 10 when sexual healing reached number three in 1982. Yeah, Reese unfortunately passed away in 2018 at the age of 76. Some big female artists in this countdown. Without a doubt. Rock On by David Essex off his uh, album Rock On in 1973. And Casey said, here's the latest Britisher to make the charts. Britisher? <laughs> yeah. Is that a real word? Casey? I don't think so. I just, I just wrote that down because I thought it was funny when he said it. But uh, <laughs> this one would get one notch higher to number five. 
David Essex wrote this to play at the end of the 1973 movie, That'll Be the Day, where he played a working-class aspiring rocker in pre-Beatles England. Essex spent much of the 60s making unsuccessful recordings, but did far better as an actor, landing the role of Jesus in the London production of Godspell in 1971. This earned him the role of Jim McLean in That'll Be the Day, in which he starred along with Ringo Starr and Keith Moon. The film's producer, David Putnam, thought it was too weird, so it didn't make the film, but Essex used the song to get a, a record deal with CBS, which released it as his first single on the label. Uh, Essex wrote the song on his bass guitar, which helped give it the menacing tone. In America, this was the only big hit for David Essex, but he fared far better in his native England with eight more top 10 hits in the UK. This was covered by Michael Damien in 1989 and went to number one. Where? Hit in the US. Really? Yeah. And, what was um, I listening to in 1989? Not pop radio, I guess. Yeah. Because I don't remember that, do you? No. Nah. So the, in our state, there's a town, Essex, and, and it was funny. My father-in-law, I remember him visiting it, and he, for some reason, couldn't pronounce Essex. And they were trying to tell him, S sex <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Well, if you're in Essex, you go to the Griswold Inn. That's right. Ever been there? Many times. Yeah. yeah. I never went to Sea Shanty Night, but my sister went. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. When sister number two was living in Westbrook, sometimes we would, as a family, meet there, you know, 40 years ago. We're getting into the boogie age. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, yeah, Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang. Off their album, Wild and Peaceful. This one got one notch higher to number four. With the million-selling success of this song and the success of other singles, Funky Stuff and Hollywood Swinging, the album was quickly certified gold by the R-I-A-A, the band's first certified gold album. The main spoken vocals on Jungle Boogie were performed by then roadie Donald Boyce, who became better known as The Boogie Man. <laughs> perhaps some of the best ever in this song. <laughs> Boyce's vocals on the hit were so popular, he was invited to sing backup and perform vocal effects on a number of cool in the gang singles these guys had five top 40 hits in the 70s the biggest being ladies night that went to number four and they had a bunch more hits in the 80s <laughs> so we go from one boogie to boogie down is this the first time we've had back-to-back -back boogies? Oh, have we had back-to-back -back booty? <laughs> That's what I wonder. We'll have to make another uh, tab in the spreadsheet. Yeah. We've probably had back-to-back -back love or back-to-back -back if. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, so this is Boogie Down by Eddie Kendricks off his album, Boogie Down. This one got to number two. The song was co-written by uh, Leonard Caston Jr., Anita Paree, and Frank Wilson. The same songwriting team that had composed Keep On Truckin' for Kendricks. Number five on our last countdown from December 3rd, 1973, episode 31. Yeah. So Keep On Truckin' was Kendrick's first major hit as a solo artist. Um, you know, it's funny, when I was listening to this uh, in my individual ratings, I was about to give it a, a neutral until the breakdown hit. The, the bass is great in this, and it's played by James Jamerson, who was the uncredited bassist on most of the Motown record hits in the 60s and early 70s. And he's now regarded as one of the most influential bass players in modern music history. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000. As a session musician, he played on 23 Billboard number one hits, as well as 56 R&B number one hits. I'll put a link to his bio in the show notes. He passed away in uh, 1983, only at the age of 47. Ooh. And um, yeah, Ed, Eddie Kendricks uh, died in 1992, uh, only eight, at the age of 52. So mm. two big talents. We lost two young. Just the breakdown? Yeah. Here it comes, Con. <laughs> Well, I didn't remember the song, and I can't wait for the breakdown. Here he is again, Bill. I remember when Mary Lou said, you want to walk me home from school? Well, I said, yes, I do. She said, I don't have to go right home, and I would kind of like to be alone. With my wildwood weed. There it is, uh, Spiders and Snakes by Jim Stafford, off his album, Jim Stafford. Uh, this one peaked right here at number three, written by Jim Stafford together with David Bellamy. It was one of the first songs Bellamy wrote. This was produced by singer-songwriter Lobo. Who is he one of the Bellamy brothers? <laughs> David Bellamy? Yeah. Oh, no. I, I would imagine so. So Lobo in the early 70s enjoyed a, a couple top 10 hits with Me and You and a Dog Named Boo and I'd Love You to Want Me. Um, in the 60s, Jim Stafford and Lobo played together in a, a Florida band called The Legends, along with future country rock legend Graham Parsons. And uh, in 1975, Jim Stafford hosted his own primetime TV series where he met singer Bobby Gentry. Uh, they married in 1978 and divorced two years later. And the series also featured a comedian 
Gallagher, Jim is still with us. He turned 79 last month. So, uh, Bellamy brothers were David Bellamy and Howard Bellamy. Ah, assuming it was the same, same David Bellamy. Of course, uh, Jim Stafford, did you say this was the host of the country top 40? Was he? I can't remember. That was on a previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about my mother's college alma mater, and we'll talk about my father's, and where sister number one went to school, and my brother-in-law and Heavy D, and a bunch of other people. This beginning scenes of the way we were. We're at Union College in Schenectady, New York. Yeah. So big, big song, big, big movie. Uh, starring Barbara Streisand, who sings the song. And uh, yeah, this was on the Way We Were soundtrack. And Casey said, here she is, the girl that can do it all. She had an Oscar and a number one song, and this is it. A cover of this song by Gladys Knight and the Pips was in our episode seven from uh, June 21st, 1975. Alan Bergman and his wife Marilyn wrote the lyrics to this song, and Marvin Hamwish wrote the music. The Bergmans also wrote the lyrics for The Windmills of Your Mind and You Don't Bring Me Flowers. The movie came out on October 9th of 1973. The film was very successful, and it helped popularize the song, which entered the top 40 on December 22nd, 1973, and became Streisand's first Number one hit on Groundhog Day 1974. It got bumped out, but regained and spent a total of three weeks at number one. After that, there was a bit of a chart hiatus for uh, Babs, uh, who wasn't seen again on the top 40 until 1976 when Evergreen from A Star Was Born entered. That one also spent three weeks at number one. All right, from Babs. To the number one song for the week ending March 2nd, 1974. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. We've known each other since we were nine or ten. Together we've climbed hills and trees. I think I remember this from the time, actually. <laughs> Hearing this. This is the soundtrack of Ben. Yeah. It takes them a little while to get there. so. I'll... But everyone knows this song. If yeah. you don't, then, then you didn't have an AM radio in... the winter of 1974 into the spring yeah so there it was seasons in the sun by terry jacks off his album seasons in the sun interesting story to this song though it was originally called le morte bond the dying man and was written and performed in french by the belgian poet composer jacques brill in 1961 in a song facts interview terry jacks said that after his version was released he had dinner in brussels with jacques brell who told him about writing the song 
It was about an old man who was dying of a broken heart because his best friend was having an affair with his wife. The words were quite different in that version, Jack said. Um, the original version is uh, rather macabre, but Jack's had an earnest inspiration for his reworking of the song. His good friend developed leukemia and was given just six months to live. And uh, Jack said that he was gone in four months. And he said he was a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends. And he said I was the first one that he told. And I remembered the song of an old man dying of a broken heart. And I liked some of the melody. And there was something there. I rewrote the song about him. And it became the largest selling single in Canadian history. More than wow. 285,000 copies sold in a matter of weeks. Uh, eventually, it sold more than 3 million copies in the US alone. Worldwide, the figure is over 6 million. This was Jack's only US hit, but he had several in his native Canada. And he's still with us. He's 78 years old. All right. Well, that's the number one song for the week ending March 2nd, 1974. So, uh, you know, um, what do we do now? Yeah, so this is the time where we do our ratings and picks of the uh, different songs to fit in the categories. And the first one we do is the song that we think will torture our poor friend and uh, we call that one your agonizer please no mr spock so i'm going to agonize you with number 22. this is very difficult this week are you crying do the tears belong yeah to me? there were so many to choose from yeah you know, it's funny, this this movie Sunshine, I remember seeing, I don't know if it was based on a book, but I remember seeing a paperback book. And I, In the school I remember, library? Uh, I, no, I think either perhaps my sister had it, or maybe Gail had a copy that I came across when I was cleaning out the house. But to read the synopsis of the movie, it's very sad. It's about a, a, a guy's wife, again, similar to Seasons in the Sun. She's got, like, a disease, and she's dying. And That was a big trope in the early 70s. You know, Brian's song. Yeah. You and, know. Uh, love story. Love story. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So. What, to try to get your mind off the <laughs> gas went from 30 cents a gallon to 50? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Uh, yeah, so Brian's song, you know, was about the, the Chicago Piccolo. Bears, Brian Piccolo. Do you remember the, you know, they used to go to those guys, the Bears, on, on yeah, Saturday yeah. Night Live. And they had an, one skit where one of the guys has a heart attack and he has a near-death experience. And he goes down the long tunnel and then at the end of the tunnel, it's Mike Ditka, and he says, this one ain't over yet. And then so the guy comes back to life, and then the other, he says, oh, I had a near-death experience. And they go, did you see Brian Piccolo? And he goes, <laughs> "He goes, not this time. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, I... I, I oh. All right. I Yeah, This there was a lot to choose from, but I, I don't know. I... I pictured this one being sand in your bathing suit. I, I, I took number 13. 
Jeez. I kind of like this song. All right. I, I thought you might like it, but I There's find... so many other worse songs than, uh, yeah, than this. Yeah. Okay. I, I, guess, I, I guess I'm just going by the... Uh, you know the artists i mean i i think you're you're kind of on the fence with carly but i know you're not the biggest James well no I'm, I'm i'm really not because i don't understand you're so vain and, yeah. and the thing is there's a lot worse so you know i i i will tolerate this more yeah okay uh, so that's a, that's a fail on my part I just sort of think it's like, you know, these two are, are trying to be the Captain and Tennille or something, you know? <laughs> Before Captain and Tennille. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's where the Captain and Tennille got it from. Yeah, so. yeah. I could picture our, the Captain and Tennille doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so if those of you looking at Channel 18 at my, at my sheet of paper right now, I had a real hard time figuring out what the best song of the countdown was. And... Uh, really really this is this is wicked hard mm-hmm. and i'm gonna just go with something i think is very nice because i think no words are better than having words in this countdown hmm. okay and um it's a beautiful song and, yeah uh, it's a it's a beautiful song. It, it is iconic, and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, not not a bad choice at all. And and I agree, this was hard. But, so, you know, my other White's, ones. Well, I'm not even going to tell you the other ones. You can you can come to my basement and look at some point in time. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but uh, Barry White's a genius. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what's your I, best song? And don't tell me it's the Joker. Well, the Joker was a repeat too. I don't know if I had picked that before as something, but um, yeah, I had a hard time as well. Kind of because you know, there's good stuff on this countdown. Not anything stand out great in a way. So I took number twenty five. All right. I I think this is um, you know, the Stones at this time. I think this is like one of their best songs. So. Okay. That was not on my list. Yeah. I had some runners up too, but maybe I'll keep them a secret. Um, But it was close. I I went back and forth. All right. Very difficult. Yeah. But worst song of the countdown. This is hard too. All right. Because there's a lot of dreck in this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to give you a little spectrum. Speckstimme. United States dollar took another company <laughs> on German, French, and British exchanges this morning. Well, point ever um, Germany. It has declined. Yeah, you you can uh, keep it right here because I guess <laughs> we both could be accused by Colonel Flag of being communists, but uh, I picked this as the worst song as well. <laughs> Because it's not a song. You know, yeah, they got, you know, America the Beautiful playing in the background. But give me, this is something you'd, like you said, a newscaster would read. Well, he is a newscaster. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, Britain and Italy were lifted out of the debris of war by the Americans who poured in billions of dollars. I'm going to find the guilty pleasure. All right, Mark, here's my guilty pleasure. 
We are here at the White House for <laughs> on the energy crisis. Mr. President, have you any statements? Yeah, I... Mr. President, what really... Tell you what, after that, uh, you know, that previous uh, December 73 episode, I uh, I listened to this and, and thought it was great. I didn't pick it as a guilty pleasure, but I'm glad you did, because it's really entertaining. In fact, of, of the sort of mashup ones, I think this was the best. Yeah. Mr. President, yeah. the crisis must... All right. Um, I I went with something. I I don't know. People at home are probably going to guess what I took, but uh, yeah, I, I I took number five. Get down, get down, All right. You know, Jungle Boogie. Those horns sound like an elephant, and some of the best Sprechstimme ever. Wunderbar Sprechstimme. And I saw Cool in the Gang, twice. Uh, out at the Formula One race in Austin a, a couple of years in a row, and they were great. And, uh, you know, at that time realized how many hit songs they had. And this is this is a really cool toe-tapping song. Yeah, but didn't make, you know, NG Crisis 74, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I'm glad you picked that song. Okay. But I hope you're glad I picked this one. Oh, sure. I'm very happy. All right. Story song of the week. All right. You want me to go? Sure. Why don't you go? All right. I This was a little tough until I gave it some thought. And then um, I went with number nine. Dark Lady. You just like the accordion. <laughs> All right. Well, you talked about this, you know, yeah, I, as we got here, so I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. the uh, producer made him change the story, the yep. end of the story. So, yep. yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't have that inside baseball. So, yeah, and I, you know, I've come to appreciate some of these share early '70s hits as well. Um, oh, I like this song. Yeah, yeah this is yeah, this, this is a good song. this is a nice song. Yeah. All right. So my story song of the week, we have to roll it all the way back to number 40. And um, I didn't know the backstory about the Bronzeville Junction and uh, how they would, you know, pinch their folks cigarettes. And I I couldn't do that because my folks didn't smoke. But didn't you tell me on our little road trip that your dad would give you, you know, you know, four bits and have you go get a, a pack of parliaments down at the local store. Yeah. Yeah. Kid. yeah. And I can remember, you know, I don't know if he must have been having withdraw. I remember him telling me, run like the wind. <laughs> Which, <laughs> because I can't. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I only have meat and, and my no favorite vegetables vegetable. And, my yeah. favorite vegetable is tobacco. Yeah. And I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> I, I never exercise. <laughs> uh, All right. So um, why don't you do your uh, divergent songs, my friend? So this was not easy either, but uh, I took a stab at it. So I, I had number six. Rock on. Yeah. yeah right. So Yeah. You're going to rock on. And really, that's divergent from number four. 
you're gonna rock and boogie okay yeah rock on and boogie down two different things really <laughs> oh without a doubt you have to change yeah. your shoes when you do that right yeah yeah all right you're gonna boogie down all right so uh i have uh, a little bit different uh a little bit different take on divergency and the first is number 17 all right so i'm outside i've got sunshine on my shoulders it's a beautiful beautiful afternoon i'm getting rocky mountain high i'm on the calypso uh thank god i'm a country boy and uh oh god it's divergent with number 27. it's midnight and there's no sunshine on my shoulders and the moon is cold so yeah good good job there that's those are two very divergent songs for sure both in title and uh and uh theme yeah so we get to our ratings of the countdown yeah want me and, to go or are you gonna yeah go? i want you go all right so you know i did my individual ratings surprisingly the the numbers are interesting i had 23 good songs 11 neutral five bad and one sap given the 23 good songs uh, i rated it a b plus uh, but there's you know there's good stuff in here but there's not great stuff and there's a fair amount of uh drag as you said so so that's what i did b plus i don't think we listened to the same countdown really This is a C minus. Okay. This is this is really not good. Um, I mean, it's it's good from the time, but I I had a hard time finding stuff I really liked in here. And, yeah. Uh, I I you know one of one of my colleagues said to me last week, "Why are you so negative?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to say who that was, but I was, you know, it was one of those days yeah. and, and I just couldn't believe what's going on. And I, I can be negative with this. And, um, yeah. Um, but you know, if, if you do your empirical ratings, like you're doing, all right. Um, I, I can understand that, but I had a hard time getting through this. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I try if it if I've rated more than half the songs as good, I, I think it gets a, you know, a B. But there is a lot of, there is a lot of drag in here. It, there's a lot of, it's funny though, I, I think like, we both had a hard time picking uh, the best song of the countdown because there's good songs, but as I said, there's nothing like really great that really stands head and shoulders yeah. above the rest. Yeah. So. yeah. But, and a lot of it's up the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of movies about sad stuff and people dying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> for sure. All right, maybe I'll find someone we'll get out that's uh, that we can uh, roll out with that uh, is okay. And I think it might be this one. 
Yeah, so, good choice. Yeah. And uh, my goodness, we're done with March 3rd, 1974. Or March 2nd, 1974. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good, good countdown. Sort of wanted to mention as we record this, tomorrow is uh, Gail's birthday. So, thinking about her, and we, yeah, we visited her uh, journal, got some info mm-hmm. out of that, which was fun. Yep. And, um, yeah. So, good time. Had a good time at the concert with you, sir. That was great. We're gonna we're gonna have to do some more road trips or stuff like that. So, yeah, very good. So, uh, what would our good buddy Casey say? right about this time so you know it was as you said kind of a negative countdown so i got sort of a double negative you might say and that's, <laughs> uh, don't go smoking in the boys room so you don't get hooked on that feeling all right everybody and keep your podcast machine right where it's tuned you could find us on the twitter at 70s weekly or at seven zero squeakly and if you're listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, go out and give us a five-star rating and write, write a few words down that says this is the most awesome thing since, uh, what's on the chart? The most awesome thing since Jet. Yeah. Or I like to live the love or Jim Dandy. Yeah. You know, don't be too superlative about, about our podcast. You know, I, we are the unsung heroes of the 21st century, but you could leave that out. <laughs> All right, Mark. We'll see you. Yeah.